folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and we welcome in to discuss his work in the 2020 Football Outsiders Almanac, um, Rivers McCown, who has the best journeyman backup quarterback name of any person I've ever met. What's up, Rivers? <laughs> yep, we got uh, got the Philip Rivers, got the Josh McCallan. Uh, uh, it kind of overlaps a few more, too, actually. But, yeah, yeah. how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. We used to have a game at a radio station I worked at called McCown, McCown, or McNown. So where we would have, mm. you know, uh, trivia about which McCown, Josh, or Luke, or Cade McNown. And now it sounds much sillier when I try to explain to somebody else. But I guess we could have included you in there. Uh, but you cover the Houston Texans, and you wrote about the AFC South for the uh, the Almanac, or the Texans and the Titans. Um, and yep. you are very familiar with the AFC South, which the Vikings are playing this year. So I want to start out with the Texans. Are you tired of Bill O'Brien general manager jokes? Oh, no. I think he deserves the roasting. So by all means, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, it just I saw that uh, Allen Robinson was somebody that uh, people are talking about, should the Bears trade him? And it's like the first responses are, Bill O'Brien will give him Deshaun Watson and three firsts or whatever. I mean, it is – absolutely impossible right to justify the deandre hopkins trade it now feels like since our world has just gone the way it's gone uh it feels like a long time ago but that happened and there's just there's no way to look at that and be like no it's fine no i mean i'm people in houston have really tried believe me i mean there's been a lot of uh wheels spinning to try to make something out of like well, Brandon Cook is a lot faster than DeAndre Hopkins, and Bill O'Brien really likes his speed. So if it, these guys can get outside and then do the Yankee routes, and you know, it'll be it'll be all fine. It'll be good. And, and you know, people, you know, they're trying. Bless them, bless them. They're trying. No, there's no way to justify that trade, and uh, it's kind of a big downer on what should have been a competitive year for the Texans. 
Certainly. I mean, when you look at the division as a whole, it's wide open for the Texans to take it. And clearly they have, uh, unless Ryan Tannehill is going to expand that to 500 passes as opposed to 200 and something, which I kind of doubt. I mean, it's you've got the best quarterback. You have an established roster that's been building and maybe an opportunity to improve on defense. And then you remove the best player. So now you have all these receivers who only run straight. Um, what, what is this offense around Deshaun Watson going to look like, Rivers? Because I do think that Deshaun Watson is one of three to five quarterbacks in the NFL that if you put him on the Miami Dolphins last year, he makes the playoffs because he is that good at creating something where there isn't a whole lot, and he's had to do that in the past. So what does the offense look like with these vertical wide receivers that you have now? Honestly, it probably hasn't changed all that much. Um, even when some, even when everybody was healthy before, you had Will Fuller running a lot of clear outs. So, I mean, I think Will Fuller is going to kind of move into that uh, that Hopkins role. I think he's going to be the main target whenever he's healthy, which will be six games, and you know, move on from there. Um, after that, you got Cooks outside, kind of reinventing the the uh, Fuller role. Uh, Randall Cobb is going to be kind of the super slot guy who. Another one of the excuses they give is kind of like, oh, well, uh, well, we might have lost Hopkins, but Cobb plus uh, plus Cooks in the same uh, role kind of it's like those two equal him. Well, we find because those two equal his production and they surely don't equal his salary. But uh, I think they're going to try to get Cobb to be there over the middle kind of slot threat. And I saw how many drops he had in Dallas last year. That's, you know, Hopkins had no drops at all in 2019. So I don't know if that's going to work out all well, all that well, but I know that the offense probably won't change that much as much as they kind of build it up to that might with, with David Johnson being more involved in the passing game. I, I find that hard to believe based on Bill O'Brien's past. That's if there's anything left of David Johnson, which is a question here. If like, you know, I mean, you go out and get a guy who looks more and more like a one-year wonder as we get farther away from it, and another one of those running back contracts that gets discussed as, what were they thinking, signing a running back to a big contract? Um, So, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because if there is a world that if, like, David Johnson suddenly snaps back into it and Randall Cobb does catch the football and the Will Fuller does stay healthy and the offensive line is at least halfway decent and Deshaun Watson continues to get rid of the ball a little quicker, as he did last year, I noticed his time from snap to release uh, improved, which I think is probably maybe the offensive line, but maybe just his knowledge of the game is better, getting quicker reads and things like that. It still points to you've got a pretty darn good team on offense. Yeah, and the the offensive line now in uh, second year for Titus Howard, second year for Max Sharping, both of those guys showed some flashes of what they can be last season. Uh, Nick Barton finally got paid. He came around pretty well last season. He had kind of a rough start to his career. I mean, he kind of got paid before he was actually earned the money, so to speak, but finally played pretty well last year. So, I mean, offensive line is one thing that I think Texans fans are very optimistic about, which is a very weird thing to say after being Texans fan for so so many years and, you know, watching them trot out the Seth Wands of the world. <laughs> God, who was there before Dwayne Brown? I forget his name even. Ephraim Salam, maybe. <laughs> but, like, like it, it's it's night and day there. And, I mean, it better be after you spend roughly, what, five first-round picks on it. 
<laughs> if you've got Deshaun Watson, uh, it makes sense to build up everything you can around him. The big issue last year was more of the defensive side for the Texans. Um, and as the Vikings will take a pretty good offense, presumably down to Houston, I mean, are, are we looking at a big improvement or are we looking at Kirk Cousins is going to throw for 350 yards? Well, I mean, that, that is the big question. Uh, Anthony Weaver is the new defensive coordinator, first-time coordinator, never did it on any level before. Seconds have kind of a habit of, of bringing these guys in like this. Uh, Mike Rabel is kind of the same way, actually. And, and so we're like, well, he might be a good leader of men, okay. Uh, what kind of things are, is he going to do different? And uh, Weaver has kind of hinted at around the edges in his interviews that uh, I'm going to get some Rex Ryan proceedings to everything, which not really something that comforts a lot of Texans fans considering how Rex Ryan was uh, sort of dismissed in Buffalo. So uh, I'm not sure. There's there's a lot of people who are pinning their hopes on Lonnie Johnson uh, growing in his second year, the cornerback out of uh, Kentucky. And there's also a number of people kind of pinning their hopes on Jacob Martin being a real pass rusher. But even those things I could see happening, I don't know that they're guaranteed to happen. And the, the fact of the matter is we, they have no good cornerbacks as far as, like, coming into the season established, snap, 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 this is going to work. Well, so uh, the that's Vikings, going to be trial by fire. Yeah, the Vikings can relate to you there, that's for sure. Because this is – I mean, this is one of those games where it could actually be stupendously fun with both quarterbacks throwing the ball all over the field on corners who are inexperienced and getting smoked. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about something. I ran across a really uh, surprising stat that I think that most people would not have expected. But over the last five seasons, the Houston Texans actually have the best point differential at home of anyone in the NFL. You would have thought it'd be like New Orleans or it would be Seattle, but those teams actually are not as good as the Houston Texans. There might not be fans also, or maybe only 25%, so that could change the potential dynamic. But is there something to that? Is that kind of random, or is there something to the uh, Reliant – is it still Reliant Stadium? Uh, maybe it was Reliant <laughs> NRG. Stadium. Oh, NRG <laughs> it Stadium. Was it was once Reliant Stadium. Uh, okay, so NRG Stadium. Is, is there something to the legitimate home field advantage? Like, should the, the Vikings be looking at this like going down to Texas? That's actually pretty tough. I mean, any game in the NFL is tough if you think about it hard enough. But um, I think most of those point differential swings were kind of built on a bad AFC South. Uh, you know, the Jaguars have been relative pushovers for a long time outside of the, the one year. The Titans have been relative pushovers for a long time. The Colts have been good and bad. I mean, but but I think you still get some, like, uh, some Andrew Luck is injured year in that, in that sample. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm not totally surprised by that. Uh, Bill O'Brien loves to run the ball, and when he's got an advantage, I mean, it works out really well for him. Before we get back to the conversation, want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Baseball is back, and SodaStick just launched its latest partnership with Hormel Foods and the Tommy Watkins Foundation to pay homage to the Hormel Row of Fame. It debuted in the Metrodome in 1992, and though it's been long retired, you have an opportunity to check out the latest t-shirt called the Wiener Winner. Great for lunch, great for dinner. You remember how the song 
song goes, for every t-shirt sold, Hormel Foods will donate $10 up to $10,000 to Tommy Watkins Foundation's backpack program supporting Twin Cities youth. We're going to hook you up also with free shipping for your Wiener Winner shirt. Use promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. Uh, I want to ask you before we move on to the Titans, the team of regression. Um, I do shows with Sage Rosenfels all the time, former Texans. Mm. You're yep. familiar with the copter. Yeah. Yes, I know. You know what is unfortunate about that is he played great in that game all the way until like four minutes left, and uh, he was beating Peyton Manning at that point and outplaying him, and then you know. But uh, I want you to tell me where Sage Rosenfels ranks in all-time Houston Texans quarterbacks. Oh man, I mean it's it's probably top five, right? I mean you got Deshaun, you got Schaub, and then after that it's kind of a black hole. <laughs> so I mean uh, Sage is up there. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's one year is probably up there as well. But yeah, probably probably three or four. Um, Sage was actually a pretty good player for a couple of years there, and. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a shame that that, that copter kind of loses uh, loses meaning in the fact that the they were hanging out with the Colts for a little bit. Um, you know who else would kind of like that? Uh, one year, Ron Dane ran for enough yards to uh, beat the Colts at Christmas. Uh, I always remember that game as you know, as somebody who grew up watching the Texans get their ass kicked by the Colts constantly, <laughs> constantly every every year. Those are like two two little moments where I'm like, oh man, that was actually a pretty good game. And and even more unfortunate too about that particular game with the Texans and Colts is that I believe it was the first game that was being played um, at home for Houston after a hurricane had shut things down. I I forget exactly the context, but it was it would have been such an amazing win for the Texans, and then. He gets uh, a bad break, I would say, and maybe a regrettable decision, but played played really well. Um, well, well, I mean, it's not it's not his fault that the defense gave him all those points, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, right. That is that is definitely another part of it. Is after after that happens, like they could have gotten a stop. Uh, also, you know, they could have run the ball on the next drive where he also got uh, strip sacked and, and fumbled and probably should have just run the clock out, punted it away and, and so forth. But, uh, yep. anyway, we're going back to whatever that was 2008. I did want to ask you about Coobs though. I mean, nobody's more familiar than Houston Texans fans with, uh, Gary Kubiak, uh, the Matt Schaub years, the Andre Johnson years, that was specifically what I want to ask you about because we're here now in a situation for the first time in a long time with only one wide receiver who is elite on the roster. It, I mean, it hasn't been that way since 2016. Now that Stephon Diggs is in Buffalo, how did Coobs do it? I mean, how, how how did he continue to scheme Andre Johnson the ball, aside from Andre Johnson's freakishness, and rely so heavily on one receiver? Because the next receiver every year is like Owen Daniels with 60 catches and Andre Johnson with 110 or something like that every year. It's kind of amazing when you look back at it, and I think they'll have to do it again with Adam Thielen. Well, let's, let's throw some respect on Kevin Walter's name there. I mean, Yeah, yeah true, that, true. That, and, that's uh, a good, good blocker. There, there's a Jones mixed in, a slot receiver. Who was that? Jacoby Jones. Jacoby yeah. Jones, that's right. Jacoby Jones would fly, man. Um, I actually remember – this is in the very early days of Twitter. I actually wound up taking a bunch of Jacoby Jones posts and making them like a found poem on, on Battle Red Blog 
back in the day. Just, just you know, stuff like I ain't gonna eat that. Like he 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 would just, that guy just set his mind. I love that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, right. So the question, that, how, the, how did, the question how did he do it? Had, the question I had is basically at that time, uh, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for a couple years there, and I mean, what they did together was create the the beginnings of the of the Shanahan offense, where a lot of play action came in. I mean, I think they ran. I did the study for the Titans chapter, actually. They ran in 20, 2011 more play action than any team that ever has to be charted at Football Outsiders. So, I mean, that was a big part of it. Um, obviously, the running game was humming at that time with Aaron Foster, so, or a little bit later, Aaron Foster. But they didn't have to, they didn't have to do a whole lot of uh, worrying about that outside of one year. I think it was 2009 was the year that Steve Slayton totally fell off the planet. And, 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 yeah, I mean, they did target him a lot for sure. He was a part of everything that they did. Um, but the targets of the other players actually weren't that hard. I mean, you know, Kevin Walter was catching slants, you know, with five, with five yards of space between them pretty much all the time. And Owen Daniels, good player, uh, you know, much the same, actually. Yeah, and I think that they have potentially more in Irv Smith in terms of talent than Owen Daniels, who uh, was a catch-the-ball-if-you-throw-it-to-him guy. Um, so l- let's talk about the, the the Titans here because they are the most obvious. This team's not going to be as good. They spent a bunch of money on a running back, and the Ryan Tannehill numbers last year are hilarious. Like I think about this actually for baseball playing sixty games. It's like that's that's kind of like what Ryan Tannehill did last year. He threw sixty baseball games worth of passes last season, and even though he had a good number of starts, it was still like. Not that many throws. I think it was short of even 300 passes last year. And if you only took Kirk Cousins' 300, first 300 passes, he probably would have had a quarterback rating about the same last year. We see that all the time. But how much regression is going to happen when they do have a very good roster and someone like A.J. Brown, who is an emerging, I think, superstar maybe in the league? Yeah, actually, that, that's kind of what I wrestled with with, the, with doing the Titans after the entire time was just, okay, we know it's going to fall off at some point. How much is it going to fall off and how much does that matter? And, and the thing is that division plus three wild card spots, it's wide open for, for teams in the AFC if they're even remotely good. So if Tannehill can regress to, you know, somewhere between what he was in Miami and what he did last year, I, I mean, that's still a playoff team to me. I think they're still a really tough team. Uh, Derek Henry kind of has – you know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? He's kind of got that magic pixie dust on him right now. Like, like there's nothing you can do to stop him. And until that kind of gets knocked off, it's blocks a little bit, uh, you know, you're going to have to worry about it every down. Um, they run the play action really well. Arthur Smith has done a great job of, of converting that offense into something that's, you know, new age as compared to <laughs> exotic smash mouth <laughs> back in the day. And, uh, yeah, that, that I think that uh, – I think there's still a really good chance to tie the playoffs, honestly. You know, I, I think similarly to the Vikings, when we look at the distribution of runs versus passes, a lot of times we just assume that a team that runs a lot is just old school. Like, oh, they must be old school because they run a lot. Um, and, and I think that maybe Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is changing that. But what Kubiak does so well, what they do in Houston uh, – I'm sorry, in uh, Tennessee, Houston Oilers, uh, te- what they do in Tennessee – is uh, works so brilliantly off of that play action. And the fact that Derrick Henry is terrifying people at this moment, 
it almost doesn't matter whether it's real or not. Like, as long as teams and defenses think it's real that Derrick Henry can win the game by himself, then it matters to how they're going to game plan. And I think that we see that in the way that Ryan Tannehill played last year with all of the the play actions off of the the run game. I think it's hard to really quantify the effects of kind of the zig versus zag if you zig really well. And, you know, Derrick Henry is one of the few bets I can think of in the past, like, 10 years, maybe him and Adrian Peterson, who would be superstars in, like, 1960 if you just drop them there. Like, he's, you know, powerful. He bowls over people. And I think he's just, you know, at the right time right now where defenses are trying to get smaller. <laughs> and all of a sudden you've got, like, a, a 230-pound linebacker trying to tackle 250-pound Derrick Henry. <laughs> and it doesn't work out very well for defenses a lot of the time. So, I mean, I think there is – there is definitely something to both kind of the strategic idea of spread to run and kind of making the run work. And then I think there's also something about just Derrick Henry personally and how he makes things a little bit different than you'd expect. There is a little bit of Ironhead Hayward in uh, Derrick Henry where it's just yeah. carrying human beings down the field, getting four extra yards after you run into someone. The uh, Indianapolis Colts are a real uh, – debatable one. Now you may have some rivers bias here, but it's uh it's hard to see after the way you played last year, just snapping your fingers, going to a new team, even if it's indoors and even if the offensive line is better, and just saying, okay, well now he's gonna be back to where he was a couple of years ago. We're talking about a guy who throws the ball probably as slow and now at this point as anybody else, but still has a gunslinger mentality. And even though I like a lot of things that the Colts organization did, I just have a tough time with this one saying, yeah, Colts, they're going to win 11 or 12 games with Phillip Rivers because he used to be good. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is far in Minnesota. I think the way you look at that, if you're an optimist, is you kind of think about how many of Phillip that Rivers' interceptions thrown last year were kind of fourth quarter desperation time. And he didn't really have a whole lot around him outside of Keenan Allen. I mean, Hunter Henry made it back at the end of the year. Mike Williams is, you know, good. Austin Eckler is pretty good. But offensive line-wise, that's kind of a rough a rough, a rough, shape. Um, they haven't had a real offensive coordinator in a while, I think, since Frank Reich left and then kind of gets reunited here. So that helps out a little bit as well. Um the FOA is actually really high on the Colts this year. I think they're both, they win the division most of the time. Really? Uh, and okay. The Texans are kind of like trailing behind pretty close. Um, so that's kind of a surprise to me, even as, as somebody who writes for the book, just, you know, what, what does the computer spit out? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that they've got a chance. Uh, I think that, I think that maybe River struggles kind of a little overblown last year. And I think, you know, not not to say that he's going to be a world beater or anything, but as long as, you know, you give him that kind of Kirk Cousins control offense where, you know, you're running the ball and you, you've got threats everywhere on every level and all he has to do is deliver and distribute, then I think he'll be fine. And it does matter that they have one heck of a backfield. Uh, Minnesota fans know exactly what Jonathan Taylor can do because he demolished them last year for Wisconsin. But also, uh, Mac is a really good running back, too. It's, uh, I think that that is going to make a big difference for them to be able to run the ball as effectively as they can with their beastly offensive line. Yeah, and I would even give that credit to their their tight ends as well. Um, Mo Alley Cox, I don't know if anybody's watched that guy really but he can block his, his behind off 
and you've got Jack Doyle there who's still, you know, a pretty good two-way player. Um, <laughs> they're a really hard team to stop when they're running the ball. Um, even, even last year, you know, playing the Texans on like a rando, you know, we've got Jacoby Brissett. Uh, it's a rando Thursday night game on the road, and, you know, they're bringing out Jonathan Williams or somebody, and just, you know, he's running for 120 yards, 130 yards easy. I mean, they've got a good system there for running the ball, and one, once you plug Taylor in, um, you could definitely see some shades of Titans in that one. So how, what do you have as the order? I know you just said that it was a little surprising to see the Colts there, but those first three teams of the division, and then we'll chat about the Jaguars if we have to, but, like, the teams that matter in this division, uh, what's your order? Uh, okay, well, I would start with the Titans. I think that uh, I think that the drop off from on Tannehill's stats will not be that bad. Uh, and like you said, AJ Brown kind of kind of takes a little bit of worry off that. Uh, I really like Corey Davis actually, but don't tell anybody because he's supposed to suck. Um, <laughs> uh, so after that, I got Titans, I got Texans, I got Colts, and I think Texans and Colts can be interchanged pretty easily. I wouldn't be bothered if you said any of those teams should finish three. Is this and like the Jaguars? Is this like division winner goes ten and six, and third team is eight and eight, that kind of thing? Well, it could be more, more than that, actually. Um, you know, all these teams have pretty weak schedules. Um, I don't know if you've read the almanac yet, but they're not real big fans of the NFC North either. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I can see that. I mean, that's totally reasonable. If uh, you're looking at the NFC North as not the toughest division, because I I agree. Out of all the divisions, somebody asked me in my mailbag like to rank the divisions, and I think I had the NFC North maybe sixth. So I don't I don't think it's the toughest division either, unless the Detroit Lions really surprise us. But as long as Matt Patricia's their coach, I'm just going to wait and see on that. Don't, don't got to worry about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, Jaguars, um, I like to joke about Doug Marone because I was in Buffalo when he coached there, and um, mm-hmm. it didn't – it just – it just didn't, you know. So <laughs> – he still has his job, which I think is surprising, and he went to an AFC championship game, which he botched, so that's more than I expected from him. But this team should be in full rebuild mode, and I'm kind of surprised they're sticking with him. It's almost like the Bears in the last year of John Fox, where they were starting Trubisky. It's like, yeah, John Fox is still definitely coaching in the NFL for the rest of this season. I kind of look at Marone as the same way, and if there's one victory on the schedule that the Vikings have to get like that one against the Jaguars. Yeah. Apathy is, is kind of running rampant in Jacksonville right now. I don't know if the, the cons have too many projects to work on. I know that they're involved in uh, European soccer to some extent. Um, I've heard rumors that they're, they're just not really interested in cleaning office right now. <laughs> when you don't even clean office, it's kind of what you get this, this kind of team of leftovers where the most interesting thing is how do we project Leonard Fournette's fantasy football totals? Because <laughs> nobody knows if he's going to be on the team to start the season and, and whether they prefer him. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mess right now. I, I feel bad for feel bad for them after 2017. I really thought that was going to become a team that uh, could buck the odds a little bit there on defense. And uh, instead what you got was – <laughs> one good year and and cloud of dust, basically. 
We'll get back to the conversation in just a second, but have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and then goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering up our listeners 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code INSIDER, DealDash.com, dot fm slash insider that is d-e-a-l-d-a-s-h dot fm slash insider we'll get back to football in just a second but first sports are coming back so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events major league baseball finally kicking off and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online check out all the odds features and props to bet on all available at 24 7 so with the return of sports bet online sat down with former players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time champion robert ori see what they had to say and what it's like playing without fans in a series they're calling fandemic Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You know what we never talk about since you have Deshaun Watson there in Houston? Uh, We never talk about how Deshaun Watson was passed up by the Jacksonville Jaguars and Patrick Mahomes was passed up. But I always look at it as Watson was obvious. Mahomes, you could have been like, I don't know. I've seen these guys before who throw for 5,000 yards in college and whatever and make all these crazy throws and then they can't do it in the NFL. But Deshaun Watson, there, there are very few players that I've ever watched in college and I'm like, Yep, if this guy is bad in the NFL, then I would be shocked. And uh, I've, I've also got the tweet receipts to prove it, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, we never talk about how they picked Leonard freaking Fournette as opposed to Deshaun Watson when Blake Bortles had won, I don't know, 10 out of 50 games or, or something over his first couple of years. It is, Chicago gets all the crap for that. But I would almost say, look, you drafted a quarterback at least, Chicago. At least you knew the right position to take. You just picked the wrong guy. Well, well, sort of. They sort of picked a quarterback. <laughs> Up for debate a little bit. <laughs> no, the Jaguars fans are very aware, believe me. Um, whenever I tweet out something to Sean, it kind of blows up. Uh, gets a gets a bunch of you know a thousand retweets or whatever. Reliably, the two fan bases that come out and, be, and what was me themselves are Chicago and Jacksonville. <laughs> okay, so I mean, don't, 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 don't worry, they know. And, and you know, coming out of Deshaun was actually a little polarizing, I think, because of his interception tools. That was the main thing for him. And and you know, people kind of questioned. Well, I don't know if he can keep it up. Now it's easy to say in retrospect that we were wrong. Everybody can do that, play the, play the, play the 2020 hindsight game. Um, I think I was a little bit lower than on him than I thought, you know, he became, obviously. Uh, I was very happy to get him because either way, it was an actual quarterback stab, which was something that after three years of rolling in the, uh, the Hoyer deep or whatever, um, Ryan Mallett was there. <laughs> you know, like, give me anybody. Give me anybody. Please give me out of this. 
Um, so I was probably lower on him coming out than you were, but I, I mean, I definitely can see <laughs> how this blew up. I can see what we should have paid attention to, which was the championship games and the uh, accuracy. And yeah, I, I feel bad for Bears fans and Jacks fans, but I don't feel that bad. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Well, the, uh, the thing that I liked, and maybe call me silly for this, because we're talking about the 2020 football almanac analytics here and data and all these things, which I love. Um, but for Watson, it was, it was like who he is. I mean, somebody who went through a lot early in his life with Hurricane Katrina and everything else, and the the character that he had to become. And and by the way, like Clemson is not great at that point when he's there. Like now they're just one of the three teams that we always talk about. But my entire life until he shows up, Clemson is kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, they're just another team. And he elevates them to a national championship and then passes the Bama test, which you're basically playing an NFL defense at that point. I just thought, if this guy can handle all those things that he's gone through in his life and then elevate a program like this, that is where I think we do see consistently. I mean, even like Dak Prescott, his program uh, was pretty trash for their entire existence. And then Prescott gets them to, you know, being in, in national contention. I, I, I kind of look to those guys and say, well, that's what you're going to need to do in the NFL is you're going to need to elevate a team. So if you can do it there, well, then you could probably do it in the NFL. I mean, to, to me, coming coming at it from analytics and coming at it from deep psychology or whatever, I mean, it is kind of survivorship bias to, to look at that stuff because, you know, we think about those guys, we we'll think about, you know, well, this guy led Western Kentucky to 11 wins three years in a row, and no one thinks about him anymore. I think that's Logan Woodside. I think that's Logan Woodside. Don't quote, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how, you know, one, once we're already there, we kind of use the, the available facts and be like, why couldn't anybody figure that out? I mean, that was, that was the easiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I do think what really made Deshaun work was – you know, he, he was kind of the, the quarterback who could play the new school game. And I think to this day, even the Texans don't really run him enough. They don't really try to get him outside the pocket enough. They don't try to work with the re-option concepts as much as they did in 2017. And, I mean, if it were me, I'd be running them more on that every every game. So <laughs> I, think, I think that's kind of the big difference for him right now. Yeah, well, I would say you got to have – baseline for NFL talent. Like you can't, I mean, you're right about Logan Woodside or, or, um, you know, Danny Warfel back in the day, no one has ever been better than Danny Warfel, but yeah, the guy couldn't throw the ball very hard and you know, so forth. Tim Tebow, same thing. Like never bought into Tim Tebow because just didn't think he had the NFL, uh, you know, passing abilities. So if you pass that baseline, I kind of look at that, but you make a, a fair point that none of us really know. And that circles back to why it was actually okay for Chicago to draft one of the three quarterbacks that were supposed to be toward the top. They just missed really badly on the other two. Uh, Rivers McCown, the 2020 Football Outsiders Almanac. I'm really glad that we could get together. People can just type in your very easy to spell name, if they love journeyman quarterbacks, then they'll know how to spell McCown. And if you don't, then you shouldn't listen to this podcast. You shouldn't even bother. So great to have you on, man. Great to be here. Um, 
Actually, you'd be surprised how many people can misspell McAllen. It's it's an amazing name for that. <laughs> not me. Not not the the biggest. Someday I will get Josh McCown on this podcast because we talk about him enough. As a, I mean, if you've got Sage Rosenfels appearing, then you know you've got all sorts of love for uh, for Journeyman. And we need to do this again to talk entirely only Warren Moon for an entire podcast because there's a connection there between Houston football and of course Minnesota. So great to have you on, man. Yeah, and I'll bring, I'll make sure to wear the Josh McCown jean jacket next time for you. <laughs> <laughs> you have a Josh McCown jean jacket? No, just I, I always remember him in that, in that one press conference in Tampa Bay wearing that jean jacket, looking oh. like an NSYNC member. <laughs> oh, okay, yes, okay, right, maybe, and uh, I can dress up as Ryan Fitzpatrick in Tampa Bay when he uh, used Deshaun Watson or Deshaun uh, Jackson's clothes or whatever. Yeah, 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 Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay just turns quarterbacks weird, doesn't it? It most luck this year. It certainly does. I'm sure nothing uh, weird will happen with Tom Brady there now. So, all right. Well, uh, this was really fun, and I always uh, appreciate everybody listening to Purple Insider.